0: The first reading is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The second reading is from John chapter 14 verses 1 through 11. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God.
1: All right, well, I. Ooh, that's a bit boomy. I'll try not to be quite so booming. So I thought we would revisit a little bit Genesis 3, uh, but also contrast it with the reading that we have from John 13. And uh, I'm kind of continuing in this series looking at uh, relational discipleship, um, but in particular this week I want to talk about transformed character transformed character the attributes we carry within ourselves and to reflect a little on the contrast we see between Adam and Eve representative of who we are left to our own devices and Jesus see God wants to change us from the inside out it needs to be a heart change that causes us to start to, to live and to speak and to interact and to relate differently. I remember several years ago, during uh, one of these leadership conferences, hearing, uh, at that time, the uh, CEO of uh, Southwest Airlines. Anyone flown Southwest Airlines? Yeah, they a airline, but being in Texas, we, we kind of flew them a few times. Uh, I like that airline. They, um, they, they kind of like a bit of humor. Um, But she was talking about in their process of recruitment of pilots, sometimes they get people coming to them with very similar skill sets. And of course, it's it's a fairly skilled profession to fly an airplane and take responsibility for everyone on board. And and she said that always, always, always the distinguishing um, character in, in, in deciding who to recruit would be about integrity, about who the person was on the inside even over-above skill set. And I thought that was pretty insightful and important. Because today's culture, in many ways, um, admires ability. In fact, we we elevate people with supreme skill sets, sometimes regardless of character. You know, we love our celebrities, the the Tiger Woods who dominate. Uh, People like Elon Musk, who is uh, an entrepreneurial um, person who's achieving amazing things, but there's a cost that comes with it. Steve Jobs is another one who was highly elevated. But sometimes when you get under the surface and hear about their lives and their families and their circumstances, it's a different picture. There's a great danger in the church when we elevate skill set at the expense of character. God is far more interested in what is on the inside. We've been reading recently in Samuel about the the selection of Saul to be the first king. And what attracted them to Saul was that he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He looked from the outside, the perfect choice. But things unraveled quickly. Paul says to us, I implore you. This is in Ephesians after he's laid out this wondrous work that God has been doing through Christ and through the giving of the Spirit. And he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. We've looked at this this importance of exercising ourselves towards godliness. It doesn't happen by default or by accident or through passivity. But it, we're invited to enter into spiritual training as we yield to the light that comes our way from Christ, from his word, and from his people. Those three sources I've talked about. There's a wonderful story of... Um, Michelangelo you know the great artist of the renaissance era and uh, he produced this beautiful angelic sculpture and somebody asked him how on earth did you manage to capture this amazing divine splendor in this angel that you have created and he simply said well i just take a block of flawed marble and i chip everything away that doesn't look like an angel And in many ways, this is what God wants to do in our lives. He takes flawed, broken human beings, and he wants to chip away everything that does not look like his son. That's the work that God is engaged in. And it's painful work at times. So we read in 1 Corinthians, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Just as we have been born, Sorry, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, the man of dust, the first Adam, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Just take a look around you. Do you see any men from heaven? Point them out. <laughs> I Say, I aspire to be like you. <laughs> Does that seem arrogant? That's the model. This is how Jesus works, he wants to change us. And, and so, this transformed character is the fundamental and foundational aspect of what God wants to do in us for His greater plan. Because He had a design and a purpose when He first created and created the earth, created mankind, and put them in the garden and invited them to tend and look after. But sadly, God's ways were rejected quickly by Adam and Eve, representative of us all. And sadly, this image and vision that God had was distorted. In reflecting on this, Paul says, sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. That word men is uh, an exclusive, inclusive term. Men and women, humankind, all sin. In other words, our uh, our passions, our inclinations, our desires turned away from what God wanted. And we turned against God. We began to fight against Him. We became enemies of Him. And sometimes that showed itself in just blatant rebellion to His good ways. Anyone relate? No, you've obviously never rebelled against God's ways. Perfect from the beginning. We're looking in a study on the work of the Spirit. And uh, Paul, in talking about that, looks back at the people of Israel and how he says in Isaiah, they grieve the Holy Spirit who is among them. Guess what? We have the potential of grieving God by the choices we make and through our character. Because God has this extraordinary purpose for us all. I talked about it when I started this series. And that is that we would express the very presence and glory of God. That's his plan for you. A way in which he would bring his presence into the world. And through whom he would demonstrate his glory. That's amazing to me. You know, I sit with people sometimes, sat with people this week, sat with people in many weeks. And and sometimes you think, Where's the glory? Where's the presence? Why are they speaking like that? You see we get deceived so easily. Things get triggered in us and we want to put people down and judge them and write them off and tell them how wrong they are. And I think where's the glory? Have we experienced and been touched by the the grace of God? But we can't live in that place any longer. We feel uncomfortable when we're like that. And Sometimes I wonder. I think we need, we need to understand this amazing and wondrous thing that God has done in us, each one of us through the Spirit, and recapture this, this vision of relationship with God and one, another, and one another in a way that's costly and sacrificial that is beyond us actually. If our vision for our lives is within our own capabilities, you don't have the right vision. If your vision for this church is something you feel, if we just work hard at it, we can get it right and it'll become what God wanted. We have the wrong vision. I want to have a vision that without the Spirit of God, without the power of God coming, without the very glory of God being poured out through broken, flawed people like you and me, It's going to be impossible. But with God, all things become possible. But, you know, we look around us, we look on social media, we look at family interactions. My daughter's just got back from a couple of weeks with her in-laws, and and just the sadness of broken relationships, of the games that get played, the hiddenness, um, the avoidance of truth, and the disconnect that flows into our families and lives. And it it breaks the heart of our Father who created us for oneness. So, three aspects. There's so many aspects of, of character that God wants to build into us, but I'm going to talk about only three. First one, you've heard me mention, humble dependence. These are all traits that we see in the beginning when God first created and put man in the garden. There was this humble dependence on God. He didn't have to worry about a thing. He knew that God promised and would provide. And so as he lived in total dependence upon him, all would be well. And yet, the moment the apple was taken, I know we like to say Eve was the one who took it and gave it to the husband, but the husband was the one given the word. And he just passively sat back, let her do it, and even took it himself. That's the crying shame, guys, that sometimes we just sit back, we're passive, we let things happen when we are called to something more glorious. But this was one of the saddest moments in the history of time. Because we were created to receive everything we needed from God's hand. And to live in that place of Plenty, but also humble dependence. And Adam and Eve, as for us, went from a place of trusting God to provide what they needed to a place where they took what they felt they wanted. And what was the consequence of their taking? The very things I've just described happen, that happened in our relationships and our families. There's hiddenness, there's shame, there's guilt, there's fear. This is what happens when we try to live life on our own, independent of God and His love. We blame. It's the old saying, you know. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. We always want to blame somebody else. It's never our fault. We always see what needs fixing over there rather than what is in here. But the only thing we're called to work on primarily. And the only thing we really have power to change is ourselves in our response to him. And ever since we took, we've been living in a place of never enough. You can read that people with vast wealth feel they never have enough. And that's what happens when we take rather than humbly receive from one another. And what's amazing is the example that Jesus showed to us. I tell you the truth, he says, the Son can do nothing by himself. Just hear those words. Could you echo those words? Without the Son and without his people, I can do nothing. I can become nothing. I am worth nothing. But, you see, he lived in this place of humble dependence upon the Father. place of trust And we see that most powerfully in his vulnerability in his brokenness at times in his tears in his compassion for the brokenness around him the way in which he expressed sorrow the way in which he wept openly and we're invited to model and demonstrate some of that same vulnerability as we Talking about this with the guys this weekend. As we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we will be healed and saved and transformed. You see, it comes through mutual confession, vulnerability, openness. Yet, why do we live in fear of that? Another good thing is when we share together how God is speaking to us through his word and through his other sources of light. And we talk about how we're challenged by that. And yet there's, a, there's something within us. There's a deeper desire we know to become what God wants for us. But can we own the battle? Because each one of us is engaged in a battle for our souls and our very lives. But we go alone too often. We think, i talk about that stuff. People won't like me. They'll judge me. But we're all in the same battle. All of us get saved by grace. And God has promised everything that we need but to work it out together. I see the humility in Jesus in his openness and in his approachability. Whether it was lepers, children, the demon-possessed, women, whomever, Jesus was open. He met with leaders, religious leaders. He was open to anyone and everyone. You know, One of the characteristics of becoming a mega church pastor is that you're unavailable to anyone. It's, 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 it's turning everything on its head. I don't understand it. But something gets a hold of us, you see. I remember in my early days in, in Austin, and church planting. I arranged to meet a couple, and I sat in a coffee shop, having a cup of coffee with them. And at one point, this young guy turns to me and says, I can't believe we're sitting here talking to you and you're a pastor. I've never had a pastor take time to just sit and have a coffee with me. something sad about that anyway humble dependence second one is expectant faith expectant faith adam and eve living in the place where they can trust the goodness of god they're in perfect relationship and we can take him at his word this is what god wants to restore in our character that we we live anticipating good things from god And yet, the enemy comes in and challenges us and to try to convince us that, well, did God really say that? He'll not surely die. And we begin to doubt. Now, Eve actually had added to what God had said, because he didn't say you can't touch it. He just said don't eat from it. But you see, we start to distort things when things get distorted. And one of the ways the enemy comes in to undermine our Faith, and a good word for that is trust in the goodness of the Father, is that he undermines his word to us. He attacks the word of God and the truth that comes to us through faith. Remember, faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. That's why I preached recently about receiving light through the scriptures. Am I receiving God's truth? Because the moment I step outside of his truth and begin to doubt his word, I can be easily picked off, and we are. And Mary, and, sorry, Mary, and Eve was. And the blessings that Eve and Adam walked in, in terms of provision, in terms of relationship with God, in terms of the garden and the blessings that came their way, were suddenly weakened through sin. But still, God wants us To restore this place of restored relationship, which is about restored trust. This is beyond just believing that Jesus is the Son of God, He died for my sins, he was raised, that I be saved and taken to be with him. It's actually to walk in relationship with him, to listen to him, to receive from him, to experience him through his spirit, to trust him, to totally depend upon him because he's good and his word can be believed. I love how Jesus demonstrated this expectant faith with the raising of Lazarus. He declared it as a done deal before he was even raised from the dead four days after he died. Now we see that we think, is the son of God, he's got all the power. But no, he'd laid that aside. He was a man. But a man expecting and trusting in the Father. Even from the cross. And we can't imagine... The stress and the agony of hanging upon a cross, and yet he commits himself into the Father's care. What does that take? Is that beyond us? I don't think so. In our, in our episode from John 13, on the eve of his crucifixion, he knew what was coming his way. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, and he knew what that was going to mean in terms of his suffering. And yet, in that place when most of us would be freaking out, fully anxious, I mean, we, we get anxious about all sorts of things, don't we? And yet, in that place, here's Jesus taking thought of his disciples? It's extraordinary. He was expectant in the sense of he knew he was going to the Father. He knew His life was safe in God. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going to. Do you know where you came from? Do you know where you're going? Do you have assurance from the Spirit? And therefore, do we live out of that place without anxiety? Not always easy. But expectancy is important. And there was a sense of his faith was unshakable. There was no sign of anxiety and worry. He faced the challenge of it as a human being, but nevertheless, he was still able to be present to his disciples, knowing that they were not going to cope quite as well. And one of the challenges for us, I think, when this this character gets formed in us and this inner life, is that we are to be this non anxious presence in the midst of a world that Is terribly afraid. But are we any different? We are meant to be. This is what God is restoring into us or wants to do anyway. And the other thing that faith will bring out of us is sacrifice, is sacrificial service. Isn't this amazing? Not only was was Jesus able to entrust himself with the Father, to know where he's going, and to walk without anxiety and worry? But he takes a towel, he takes off his robe, and he gets on his knees, and he serves his disciples. And ultimately, he'd serve them through his suffering and death. But you see, when we live with expectant faith that everything is secure, we can sacrifice our lives today. And if we're living supremely for the benefit of ourselves and not for the sake of others, it's an indication that we're really not walking in this place of expectant faith for the measure God wants. Last thing i pleased to hear is that God wants to restore this sense of abundant gratitude. Living out of a place of thankfulness. You know, when we take and it's never enough, we're anxious about where the next meal, the next paycheck, the next whatever is coming from. And all the while we're focusing on the glass that's half empty, we never see what the glass is half full of. And it's hard for us to feel a sense of gratitude. In a moment we're going to break bread and we're going to share in the Eucharist the thanksgiving that everything has been given to us through through Christ. Because again, God wants to restore within us a sense of gratitude for what I have. That I am blessed to live in a place relatively secure. That I have friends. That I'm part of a community. That I have family, even though it's not perfect. Because you're not. Tell your neighbor, I'm not perfect. Not perfect. Did God really say, again, the questioning of the word, but to lead us to a place where we're not sure if God's really going to provide? And therefore, we cannot live out of a place of rest. Do you feel at rest? Do you feel in your life that you can rest secure and you can rest with a degree of contentment even when things all around you may be uncertain? This is the peace that Jesus promised. He says, in me, you shall have peace. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Now, in this world, you're going to suffer tribulation. There's a storm all around you. But in the middle of the storm, as we sang, I am at rest. I am at peace. Are there times when you feel that? This is what God wants to restore in you. This is actually what you've got to give to others. You've got a ministry of peacemaking because you're at peace. But if there's turmoil and disturbance within you, how can you minister peace to another? God wants to do it within us. And this is all about living in a place of gratitude, which is, you know, they think duct tape's the strongest power in the universe. Well, <laughs> I've used that expression once again. But I genuinely believe gratitude is the most powerful force at work within us to bring peace, to bring life, to bring joy. And God wants to live in that place. But the enemy will take us from, rather than delighting in the abundance that we have, is to focus on what was forbidden. You know, you kind of see, walk down the road, you see that sign, do not walk on the grass. And there's a little bit of you who wants to walk on the grass. Who's going to tell me not to walk on the grass? Who's going to tell me to wear a mask? Who's going to tell me to tell me how I should live? You see, there's, there's rebellion in us. We don't like rules. But we also sang that we've been, our life is not our own. So what are you protecting? And what are you missing? And What joy have you lost? We were talking about yesterday morning about both God's desire to enter into us, and, and one of the primary does that is through relationship and intimacy with people. And as we experience that, we're meant to experience a profound joy. And yet many of us have been entered into with pain and more than joy. And it is hard for us to rest in the place of joy. But nevertheless, this is the Father's desire for you. He feels the compassion and hurt that you feel, but nevertheless, he still wants you to rest in a place of joy. Joy unspeakable, the joy of the Lord. So many injunctions in scriptures for us to give thanks. The psalmist, one of three, forget not all his benefits, give thanks for what he has done for us. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Did you come here with a sense of, I just want to give thanks? I just want to praise God, I can't get over what he's done for me. I Can't get over how he's saved me and he's forgiven me and he's given me mercy and he's poured his spirit out upon me and he's put me in the midst of these beautiful people. Let's all rise up and give thanks, shall we? Anyone come with that sort of mentality and thought in your heart and mind? But well, it's true, like Peter says, even in the world, in a world of suffering of difficulty of challenge you can experience unspeakable joy let's give thanks for that let's receive that even like christ at calvary we can endure all things through him through the one be strong in the lord and in his mighty power god has put his mighty power the same power that raised jesus from the dead is at work in your body Does that stir you up and want you to run around the field? I know you want to walk, wouldn't you? You want to do a great job, couldn't this grass? Anyway, does something stir within us when we realize the power of God is at work in me? Not so I can do what I want with it, so that I can serve and sacrifice and live in a place of rest rather than being. Worried and anxious, pray and give thanks, Paul says. Be anxious about nothing, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, there it is again. There's the promise. When we give thanks for what we have, rather than complain about what we don't have. Knowledge to be like God, to know good from evil. Why do you think you need that? Why do you want to be like God? Are we any better? Have we grown? So let's just ponder as I close and give thanks. I want you to think about an area of concern, perhaps an area of worry, perhaps something that you've been anxious about. I had a conversation this week with somebody who uh, um, told me that... Um, People are going to different services, and um, <laughs> probably we'll say, well, we want these people. But you see, also, that, hook, that triggers something in me. I get concerned about that, and I can allow that to dominate my thinking, and I can begin to worry about something that really shouldn't have any power. I don't know if that has any truth, but you see, these things come in, and we start to think about that. So what do I do with that? Is my faith unshakable? Do I entrust that to the Lord and say, well, it's not my job. It's not my responsibility. I can't control everything. Why should I worry about it? People make choices. People have always done that. And I need to listen for the word of truth rather than obsessing about something that may or may not. And irrespective, so what? But what is the word of truth that God wants me to abide by? This is, this is the word. I'm just kind of giving this as an example. We've got to learn to listen for truth that leads us into freedom. And the truth is that the, the harvest is white, but we need are workers, not just attenders. and so do we focus upon that. Do we entrust some of those things to God who gives the increase? That's his promise. One plants another waters, but God gives the increase. What aspect of God's nature might bring me hope in the midst of worrying about something? Well, God's not changed. God loves me just the same. God's not going to love me more if there are more people or less people. God wants me to live out of a place of contentment and satisfaction. But also God is a God of compassion who knows the pain of loss and grief that we feel. And, but nevertheless, one who gives his spirit generously to all who would ask. And therefore, I will continue to ask and walk in. And I will thank him that he hears my prayers. I will anticipate new life, not dying and death, but new life, because that's what he's about. So these are all the ways in which we live not according to the darkness, but we abide by the light and the truth. And we encounter God in the midst of that. And we can be those who minister that to one another. So, close your eyes. Think about something that has been or perhaps is a place of worry and uncertainty and perhaps even anxiety for you. You know, Paul, who said be anxious about nothing, also talks about being anxious. He's human. We all are. And let's open our minds and our hearts to the spirit of truth who is in us and among us, to Christ and to his word. Thank you, Lord, that you know each one of us. You know the things upon our hearts, the things that we are anxious about, the uncertainties we live with. And yet we, we desire to take hold of that which is certain. You, Lord, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and as I look back in those moments of supreme joy, awareness of your salvation, of your love, and of your power of work within me, that has never changed. So help me lay hold of that, Lord. Help me rest in the knowledge of that. Help me give thanks, Lord, for the things that I have and not obsess over the things that seem out of reach. And let me entrust my future to you, Lord, whether that's plenty or need. Nevertheless, I choose to be content with you and who I am in you, even now. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Without you, we can do nothing, and yet with you, all things become possible. So lead us to this place of plenty, we ask. In your precious name, Lord Jesus.